Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, We are returning to the world of food conspiracies. What are you eating? What's the last thing you ate? What's the next thing you're going to eat after you hear this show? Leftover Chinese. Leftover Chinese, leftover turkey for a lot of people, because as we record today's episode, folks, we are hurtling toward the end of 2020. And as you are hearing this post Thanksgiving, just to get this out of the way very quickly, pandemic rates will have shot up in the United States. People will die. Yeah, I heard a stat today that it was, I think, uh, maybe a third of the Thanksgiving travel from last year, but still like the, the most traffic airports have seen since the pandemic began. They're saying like a million people a day. So people are paying super close attention to the experts and that's just a little troubling. Yeah. I, I can't remember which show I mentioned this on, uh, but, uh, earlier, uh, I found some of the same information and in one of the 
One of the most troubling things is that historically the busiest day for airports every year in the U.S. is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So be careful if you have to travel. Anyhow, all of this is not a conspiracy. In fact, we predicted a pandemic in earlier episodes, not because we're some sort of clairvoyance or precogs or something, just because statistically it was a certainty. Uh, Today, Matt Knoll, Mission Control, and uh, yours truly are exploring something a little bit lighter. This is the last last episode we're recording before we go to a Thanksgiving break. Uh, Stuff that I want you to know is often a pretty heavy meal of ugly truths and we hope uh, worthwhile information (laughs) But as we, we head to Parts Unknown this weekend, uh, what what we'd like to do with this episode is, is offer more more something like a series of tapas. You know what I mean? A little Ooh. taste. A, a grab bag, if you will, of some of our favorite food-related conspiracies and urban legends. Longtime listeners, you know that we've we've covered stuff like this in the past. We just keep finding more weird things about food. Before we dive in, can I can I bust one myth real quick? You don't need to brine your turkey. Hot take. I don't know how few people feel really? about this. I, I, I found out that, that what brining a turkey does is, you know, the salt causes osmosis. So the, it, the turkey takes in all this water, uh, the salt water. And, you know, you can season the brine as well. But that gives the um, illusion of juiciness. But the juiciness is not really the juiciness of the turkey. It's just water that's been absorbed into the turkey. So while that definitely will give you a juicier bird, you can get that same effect just by, like, doing a nice butter garlic rub under the skin and then letting it rest long enough so that the juices actually begin to kind of flow. So that's that, that that's from Gordon Ramsay to my ears, to your ears, just putting that out there. And that's what I'm doing this year. Hopefully it was actually successful. Uh, this is obviously happening uh, in the past now, but I'm really feeling strong about it. Well, you heard it here, everyone. Do not brine your turkeys. Gordon Ramsay says so. And I <laughs> listen to anything that man says. Uh, honestly, I think, He's pretty awesome. Yeah, um, he's really um, nice in person, actually. I, I, that's what I hear from everybody. Uh, but well, you know, instead, hopefully, all of you took your uh, oil, you know, your large vats of oil, where you're going to fry your turkeys, put mm-hmm. them outside, maybe on your wooden porch, and did it there. And you know, hopefully, only a small percentage of you burned your porch down. Hopefully, some folks did the beer can turkey recipe. That that thing is that's pretty fun. Uh, but you know, there's ritual. Uh, there's ritual, I think, involved in creating a Thanksgiving meal, and sometimes that ritual becomes even more important than the culinary science, right? You you cook the way that some one of your er, er, older relatives taught you uh, in the days of old, and that'll happen again toward the end of the year uh, because these sorts of traditional meals are very important in human culture, which makes me sound a bit like a robot, but I am technically correct. So let's see what we find in this dive into the world of food conspiracies, and let's see what we can actually prove. This is a little topsy-turvy because we're going to start with some terrible things that are absolutely true, and then we'll get to (laughs) the fun stuff. So here are the facts. First, Many of the terrible, terrible things you have heard about the about the food you eat, about the way it's grown, about the way it's sold, transported, processed, given to you, 
all of those terrible things are true. A lot of them. I mean, nutrition is power. The power balance is skewed. Millions of people are starving right now, while other people are fighting about the quote unquote right way to eat caviar or ortolan or, or, or you know, like <laughs> where, where's the good, where's the good coffee or whatever. Does he have uh, a special spoon for caviar? Is that a thing? Is it like a caviar mm-hmm. spoon? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never had it before. Is it good? The spoon or the you can't cav- eat the spoon. It's definitely no. I, I don't think I've ever had caviar before. Maybe in a dish, at mm. a fancy dish, but I've never eaten it like on its own. That sounds like something you might have tried, Ben. Do fish eggs incorporated into a sushi dish count no. as caviar? I don't believe so. They're okay. different. Mm-mm. Then caviar I've never had caviar either. <laughs> very specific kind of. Uh, oh God, it's a whole thing. I think the emperor has no clothes as far <laughs> as that goes, but. Uh, but yeah, it's true. There, there are a lot of uh, inequalities in our food system. And then there are a lot of, it might sound hyperbolic to say it, but there are a lot of vampiric corporations that are heavily influencing the food and beverage industry. Like, and Ashley, right, right. Well, it. like, yeah, bless you. But, you know, the, there, are, uh, there are powerful companies that are bending the laws to their whim. Yeah. And, and They've yeah. got a bunch of really long straws that go underground mm-hmm. and they drink our collective milkshakes. Mm-hmm. And one of the big ones is Nestle. Not for nothing. That's not our opinion. You can, you can easily look that up. Third, and this is another bummer, absolutely true, plastic. Boy, we got so much feedback on our microplastics episode, and it is all correct, and it is all terrifying. Yeah, it's everywhere, on the lands, in the seas, on the seas, in your body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Legos. Uh, just going to leave it there. Um, what about the food pyramid, guys? That was a thing that was like on posters in our like elementary school classrooms. And, uh, you know, so, it's praises sung, like worshipful to the food pyramid. That's obviously a, a thing that we still rely heavily upon in our uh, nourishment, at least in terms of a visual aid, right? Yeah, it has been for a long time. It's changed a lot over over the years. Yeah, the food pyramid is... Uh kind of a crock. Uh, it, you know, the, this, is not, this is not to say that there isn't solid science involved, but unfortunately, uh, the pyramid was, at least in the past, heavily influenced by the food industry, by powerful lobbying groups in, in that sphere. Uh, you can see multiple books that claim that sort of influence exists today and that these companies exert uh, a lot of a lot of agency and power on the USDA and especially like milk companies get accused of influencing the Department of Agriculture into you know tilting the pyramid their way yeah. but but if you're interested in learning more about that I would recommend everybody if you're in the US go to choosemyplate.gov which is actually a I don't know in my opinion a pretty good nutritional guide that's set up for personal use for an individual person or family where you can actually kind of make your own food pyramid of what you should be eating and where you should be, where you could be getting your nutrients. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, that I have not checked that out before, Matt. I'm going to pull that up. Uh, I, w- I would also, I would also recommend uh, checking out a book by Michael Pollan called the omnivores dilemma. The omnivores dilemma is uh, <laughs> pretty it has a very simple 
diet that is summed up like this. Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. I'm not here to proselytize. I just like the way it's written. Uh, so, so check that out because we have to consider the source when we look at things like industry, influence, science, in any case. So these are all bummers, right? This is all, this is all kind of bad news. Uh, we usually take careful time to explore the stories behind those four or five things that we just mentioned. You can learn more about this in previous episodes. We've also done work on the weird sugar cover-up that occurred in the U.S. Uh, we've examined uh, stories about chocolate and cocoa and, of course, palm oil. Uh, you can find that in previous episodes. But today, just to take a break from this very, very crazy year, we thought it would be interesting to delve into some of that uh, – that rogues gallery of urban legends about food, all the weird stuff you heard growing up, all the things that maybe like that, that guy who lived down the hallway from your first apartment, but just sometimes like mutter, you know, the we the weird out of the blue stuff people really seem to believe. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, 
so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, food is a necessity. Gotta have it to survive. Gotta have it to get things done. It's something that we have in common with all other humans, despite our many, many differences. So it shouldn't surprise anyone that we've evolved a an, an incredibly complex and dense, dare we say, folkloric kind of system around uh, food. And, and, you know, the idea of it being an art form or the idea of it representing all kinds of different cultural rituals and various other aspects of life that are kind of embodied through the food we eat and the way we prepare it and the way we eat it and the way we make it kind of like a factor in um, community, right? So the world of mass marketed food is uh, inherently conspiratorial because it's almost like the antithesis to that in some ways, or it's sort of like, it's easy to look at it as kind of the the big, bad, corporate, lazy answer to like all the things that are lovely and wonderful about food. So if you're listening to this in the United States, um, a question to you is, is it not somewhat weird that you can eat almost anything? Mm-hmm. Except for that Orla, Orlatan, right? Orlatan. Or, right. Or, or, Ortolan. Ortolan, right. whatever, Ortolan. whatever the, the little tiny, tiny, tiny fried songbird. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Hide your, uh, and you have to have the napkin or a cloth over your head so that God doesn't see you enjoying yourself. That's literally the process. It is. And really quickly, I had a friend who uh, is a very, very adventurous eater and went to, I want to say the Philippines, and he ate those 100-year-old eggs, the balut, um, which are like, uh, maybe that's different. 100-year-old eggs are different. Sorry, mm-hmm. excuse me. Balut is like an un- uh, uh, fertilized or a partially fertilized chicken egg where it's inside of the hard boiled egg is a little tiny bird fetus. Um, and apparently you eat them warm and they, it's, it tastes like he said, it tastes like chicken soup. Yeah. He said it was delightful, but the concept of it squigs me out big time. Yeah. You eat the, you eat the whole thing. Uh, and I've had it before. It's it. I think the main thing that turns people off about it is that appearance, you know, this partially developed creature, uh, but it's still way better than a century egg, the hundred year egg that you're mm-hmm. describing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ate some of that on a, on a weird Facebook show we used to do called Stack Stuff. And that's that that stuff was gross. Like I it is the definition of an acquired taste. Well, OK, have you uh, let me just ask you guys a question. You guys seem like adventurous eaters. Um, have either of you tried tripe before? Yes. In pho. It's been, I've had it in as like a extra ingredient in pho, but I've never had ha- a haggis or never really had like 
Well, haggis and tripe are the same. I've never really eaten it like on its own. I've had sweetbreads, which isn't quite the same. That's thalamus, if I'm not mistaken. But that's about as adventurous as I've got in that department. Ben, you you did an immediate yes. Yes. Because tripe is in actual intestine. Correct. Right? One thing I have to admit here is that I've, I'm a big fan of sausage. I think it's maybe the German parts of me or something. It's something in my blood very much enjoys a <laughs> pork intestine encased meat. Uh, <laughs> a worse, the schnitzel. Yeah, but, but yeah, but but the thought of just eating intestines just alone, no matter how it's prepared, grosses me out. And I think it's just a I know it's the same kind of deal with uh with the balut. Like the thought of it is much worse than the actual act or the flavor or anything like that. Oh, a couple things. Okay, first off, one of my favorite restaurants in the world, for some reason, is a place called St. John's in the United Kingdom. The chef is a guy named Fergus Henderson, and he has been credited with, quote-unquote, resurrecting British cooking. This guy cooks with every part of the animal, especially the stuff that's usually considered awful and thrown away. And this comes to, it's funny that you guys bring this up because just a few days ago, I received their newest publication. I love his cookbooks, actually. And this called, this one's called The Book of St. John. And there is an entire chapter on tripe. It just, it could, he goes ham with it. Wait, <laughs> not on purpose. <laughs> not that great. But I would, I would love to cook it for you guys sometime. Post-pandemic, let's see if it's good. I've actually been to the restaurant and it is surprisingly good but there's some weird stuff there i like i like liver i like gamier meats i like obviously chicken thighs which isn't isn't the same thing as awful but i've had heart heart is tasty it's very like hearty <laughs> there it is <laughs> that was absolutely not on purpose yeah but it is it has a really it's almost like steak like it really is like a very muscular uh piece of meat i don't find it gross at all i think the things that i find gross are things that are squi- or, uh, are squishy or in some ways have an odd texture, but yeah, I don't. It doesn't really turn me off inherently. I'm glad you said squishy, because uh, that brings us to uh, the first big conspiracy we want to talk about today, right? It does. It does. Just to sew this up, this is the point I want to make for anybody who for anybody who is like uh, uh, anybody who feels very close minded about food or nutrition, or anybody who has the audacity, the temerity to look at another culture and say, oh, it's gross that you eat that. If you're in the U.S., I would ask you to consider just how strange it is that cheese exists. Like cheese is a weird thing. And it's so normalized in our minds. It's just we think of it as like this nice kind of pale orange block that we can just slice off pieces of and make a you know a, a grilled sandwich with but the process of it is really strange and if you really dig down deep into it it's an odd concept like it's one of those things where like who figured that out it was obviously an accident right like letting yeah. the the milk curdle and what is it scraping off the gross gelatinous surface that forms on top and well, and then processing a- it further yeah, but it's it's a form of saving food that was going to go bad, right? You're right. You're right. I mean, it's so much so much food innovation comes from that need to to stock up on something when food supplies are limited. Yeah, I just bring that up because when it comes to cuisine, a thing that everybody has in common, 
uh, we're all in a glass house or a glass restaurant. So I would be very careful when throwing stones or looking down one's nose at another person's plate. Uh, it really should be outdoor seating, by the way. It should be. out. Yes, it should be outdoor seating. Uh, but Matt, uh, you had the perfect segue. There's something we have to talk about that may ruin one particularly popular appetizer in the U.S. It's weird how normal it is to be able to hop online in any major city and get almost any food you want, virtually any food. Historically, if you live hundreds and hundreds of miles inland, you should not be able to get seafood, right? Uh, There's not a a water source from which to take that fish. But now it is very common to say, hey, let's splurge a little. Let's get some calamari. You know what I mean? Let's get some fried, uh, (laughs) lovely squid, a little squeeze of lemon on there. You know what I mean? I remember when I first started, like, encountering calamari, it did feel like a very, like, special occasion kind of dish. Like it was – and because it was exotic feeling. Like, ooh, squid, squiggy, squiggly, squishy squid that's fried to a delightful golden brown and then dipped in marinara sauce or some kind of – what do you call it? Uh, Aioli, perhaps. Um, But, yeah, you know, the ones – you you can't go wrong when they're the ones that have the little tentacles and and they're the little heads. That's definitely – you're in good shape there you're in good hands with whomever is serving you those little babies but the rings is where things can go uh, horribly south yeah yeah you got to get the cthulhu calamari Mm -hmm. okay you want a lovecraft aspect to your calamari uh because it may not always be the squid you think it is Uh, at least to uh some rumors at least according to some rumors Right. This is the part of the episode where we have to say allegedly. So allegedly, uh, the calamari might be something different. Cough, cough. It is often <clears throat> cough, cough. Really? It's happened, man. It's happened. I see. I, I don't think so. I don't think it's happened at all. Counter- Honestly, I've, I've got to yeah. take that stance right now because I'm. Okay. Well, let's talk about it first. But I, I disagree with you. But let's, okay. let's go. Yeah, yeah. I'm into it. So. Uh, back in 2013, this allegation hit, uh, garnered national attention when it was the subject of an episode of This American Life, a uh, fantastic, fantastic show. In uh, this was sort of conspiratorial. The allegation here was that the calamari that people order in restaurants is sometimes not from squid, but from pigs, specifically their rectums, their intestines. To, to Matt's point, I do want to posit, <laughs> are, the, are the rectums just so cleanly removable that they would just instantly resemble? And also, it's like you get one calamari ring per pig. That's 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 a big investment of livestock, is, is all I'm saying here. Yeah, it's more, uh, I think using the word rectum is more for uh, clickbait. Or buzz value, so uh, okay. it would really just be the the intestine itself cut into rings. Yes, um, that's a thing that has been bandied about for 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 many years. Uh, while again, to Matt, you may completely disagree with this. We don't definitively know, uh, or uh, we have or have proof of this has happened on, on some kind of large scale. 
we do know that counterfeit seafood absolutely does, um, whether it's, you know, well-meaning mislabeling, right, or maybe uh, in cooking, perhaps. Like, le- it would be less of a thing if you went in to a fish market and they were selling you something under the guise of being fresh snapper and it was actually some other trash fish. Um, but, Matt, we got to give you your day in court. What, what, what is with what is your uh, your misgivings about this pig butthole phenomenon? Well, I was just doing some reading about it. Slate has a great write-up on that episode of This American Life and that specific segment that came from a producer, Ben Calhoun. And it literally was a friend-of-a-friend story uh, that was just retold, essentially, in you know within This American Life. And, you know, it uh, upon further looking at it and really considering it, Calamari or, you know, squid frozen versions of it are widely available. They're fairly inexpensive and you can charge a good amount of money for it. So it's one of those menu items where only only in the most desperate of situations, I think, would anyone, you know, uh, step to trying to get one over on their customers to instead put tripe of some sort or pig intestines of some sort in that in their in the mix rather than just you know buying some fairly inexpensive calamari and then selling it at a at a price that they that they could yeah that's interesting and i i i've i've read the same thing here's how i would respond these kinds of stories often get exaggerated right so is there a uh, is there a widespread calamari conspiracy probably not i grant uh financially it's it doesn't make as much sense and legally uh according to uncle sam anything containing a pork product has to be labeled as such however has this happened in isolated perhaps desperate instances the answer is quite possibly because there are numerous blind spots in the supply chain. I would not characterize a restaurant maybe selling counterfeit calamari as some sort of devious penny-pinching institution. I would say they may have been built as well somewhere in the supply chain because the issue here is that counterfeit seafood, right, the, the true conspiracy here, counterfeit seafood is a real ongoing thing. No one has conclusively proven a routine practice of subbing out squid for uh, pig intestines, but that lack of oversight is what compels people to say, eh, I don't know, it's possible, uh, but, but someone would have to be in a very unique financial arrangement for this to make sense. But the counterfeit seafood stuff, man, it goes way deeper than a pig's butt. For sure. Um, I wanted to bring one up really quickly. Again, that's something that, you know, you've got imitation crab. It's labeled as imitation crab. I really am not quite sure what imitation crab is made of. But you have scallops, for example. Scallops sometimes can be cookie cutter punch outs of like stingray or uh, what else? Shark as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, There's an interesting report. Just last year from an outfit called Oceana, and they found that 21% of the seafood in the U.S. is being served somehow under what we could call a fake identity. I love that you mentioned scallop snull, uh, things like lobster, catfish, flounder, halibut, a ton of fish are uh, often, to be dis- diplomatic, mislabeled. And there's also some marketing in here that's totally legal, like uh, Chilean sea bass. Spared no expense. 
<laughs> Remember that was that was the that was the meal in Jurassic Park, the nice Chilean sea bass. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The the real name for Chilean sea bass is Patagonian toothfish. Mm, and, yum. <laughs> and uh you can pull up you can pull up a picture. It's uh it's it's not gonna win the fish beauty contest. Have you ever heard the expression toothsome? Yes. Yeah. Very Doesn't that, does that mean you got a lot of teeth or that something is, no. has a nice texture to it? Yeah, it's texture, it, it, it's texture, yeah, which, you I know, thought. something that I find very toothsome is this imitation crab meat. Uh, this one's from Transocean. This is one of my son's favorite uh, snacks. What's it made and of, Matt? Wait, I just brought it up a minute ago. Yeah, that's White, why whitefish, I'm, right? That's why I'm bringing it to you. Uh, uh, Alaska Pollock. That's what's in this one. Uh, water, egg whites, cornstarch, sugar. Oh, God. King crab meat. Is in this just a, a little, little. Just a dash two <laughs> percent or less of king crab meat, uh-huh. <laughs> or whoa, or blue crab meat extract, or lobster, or oh, refined you... fish oil. Jesus! Oh, this is like a choose your own adventure ingredient. I feed list. this to my son; he loves well, you, it. You don't know what you're feeding him each time. It could be crab. Uh, it could be lobster. Oh God. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, there are some dishes uh, in which with which I prefer to use imitation crab. Uh, but I, I was not aware of that, Matt. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. I don't think I've seen an ingredient list that goes down into an either or situation. I didn't know that was legal. It does seem a little fishy. There it is. You know what? I was wrong with the ore. There are a couple ores, but the one, I put in a few. Sir, sur- 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 I put in too many. Jesus, <laughs> um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go put this back before it goes bad. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll be right back. Well, I, I think we're we're wrapped on seafood there, and that was a great way to do it. But I just had to bring this up because I, I don't think it's anywhere else in the outline. If we're talking about imitation stuff, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the Aldi horse meat kerfuffle of uh, of, of recent years. I'm not, I don't quite remember. I think it was just a couple of years 2013? ago. 2013. 2013. Okay, so a few more than a re- than, than recent, but. Um, the the chain of German in origin supermarkets Aldi uh, conducted a test on some of their ready made beef dishes, you know, frozen things, and it was from a supplier named Comigel. Uh, and tests revealed that thirty to a hundred percent of these beef products were actually horse meat. No, yeah. And they withdrew them. And this is a thing. This can be confirmed. This actually happened. This is not a conspiracy right. theory. Um, and I think, Ben, we've talked about this. You have uh, interesting takes on horse meat. There's some uh, Asian countries where you've been to where it is pretty readily available. And I believe you tried it and didn't think it was too bad. No, no, not too bad at all. But not. But you want to uh, know. <laughs> you want to know. <laughs> That's the thing. You want to know. Uh, I don't. I don't think anybody is looking back fondly on 2013 as that time I got tricked into eating horse meat. Uh, This also, Aldi got the most press for this, but that supplier you mentioned uh, was supplying several other companies in Sweden, and I want to say France. The counterfeiting problem in food is is a multi-layered conspiracy, and it occurs all the time all around us. In fact, by the way, uh, we're probably going to see more of it unless the unless there's some pretty robust legislation down the pike uh, as maritime ecosystems collapse. You know, you're going to see more and more 
uh, confusing seafood. Uh huh. I do have to add this last thing, and then I'm then I'm done uh, on this topic. Um, the the dishes in question at Aldi, to be fair, were called today's special frozen beef lasagna, and today's special frozen spaghetti bolognese. So you know, it was special beef, <laughs> aka horse beef. Yeah, and and especially you know, given that consuming that type of uh, flesh is taboo in in the west this is Big not time. yeah this is not like finding out you know that you were uh you ordered chicken and you got a duck you know no. what i mean these are very different things it's sort of almost the equivalent of like being a vegetarian and being dosed with like chicken meat you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's i mean it's a little different but it's that level of like if you found this out it was against all of your principles like eating a horse would be like the worst possible thing you could imagine. Like it could shake your whole culinary worldview and really like cause some serious PTSD for some people. Agreed. And speaking of uh, trauma, fear, speculation, let's pause for a word from our sponsor and we'll dive into some urban legends. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, 
So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we're back. This is a weird one. Write to us, conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com, if you have heard of a theory like this. There's a long-running idea or theory, we can call it, that certain beverages are meant to promote sterilization or to prevent sexual activity through some ingredient, some additive uh, that's put into the, the mix. This is a long-running concept in parts of world militaries, and this is a, a concept that's pretty common in the U.S. prison system. Right, they'll say, "Hey, the stuff they're giving you to drink may be, uh, may, may be like rendering you uh, sexually dysfunctional for a time, uh, or the the very far extreme is that this will somehow permanently sterilize a person." And it makes sense that these two ideas would come from places with a large male population, right, and that that has to live in close quarters which is kind of unnatural for people. The thing is, there's not any proof of this. If you have proof uh, from maybe your time in the armed forces or something, then we would love to hear it. But have you guys ever heard of this theory? Well, I mean, not intentional. Like, wasn't there a thing where certain dyes maybe would render people uh, sterile or, 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 or not promote proper growth of <laughs> reproductive uh, cells, like yellow number five and things like that? Or did I make that up? There, there have been rumors about various food additives, uh, food colors, um, and a couple other things like um, stabilizers. We talked about what was the one we talked about a little while ago that was in Mountain Dew. Um, God, it was a long time. I think it was 2014. Maybe we talked about that, but um, it's the flame a flame retardant chemical or something that exists within a lot of citrus beverages that causes that cloudy look oh bro, uh, uh bromide bro brominated yes something <laughs> vegetable oil no yes exactly is that true bro brominated bro vegetable oils is, is what i recall it being yeah uh it emulsifies citrus flavored soft drinks uh there there's a lot of issue with that but ben uh, to your to answer your question i don't know anything about some kind of larger conspiracy to you know uh, sterilize people through some kind of drink or substance like that. Yeah, it's it's a um, it's kind of a, a subgenre that bears uh, something in common with the uh, the the belief that substance X is added to 
uh, a common resource like water, right, uh, for some nefarious purpose. So it's similar to say it's similar to the old uh, fluoridation stories. Uh, fluoride is added to water. Uh, that part is true. But with this, there there are some weird questions, right? There are some holes in this concept. First one being, how do you regulate a dosage? That's the same issue you run into with the fluoride theories and other related ones. But the scary thing about this is that it doesn't come from nowhere, right? It has a past and a precedent because theories and speculation regarding population control in the United States are firmly rooted in Uncle Sam's very real and very disturbing practice of eugenics. Like the government of the United States actively did sterilize people multiple times. And it's weird that it doesn't get mentioned as often as it should. Yeah, the eugen- we've talked about a couple in a couple of different episodes on, for various reasons, just the terrible history that the United States has with eugenics and how it actually appears to have influenced uh, a certain regime out in Germany. Uh, right, yeah. right. And it might surprise a, a lot of our U.S. listeners to know the first eugenics-based compulsory sterilization law in human history was uh, was passed here in the U.S. Indiana in 1907 made humanity's first law of this sort. And other people just copied Indiana. Uh, the Virginia Sterilization Act in 1924 called for patients in mental institutions to be uh, sterilized against their will. This is when they threw around all those really, you know, offensive terms for people with low IQs, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This is this is another one of those things and rumors that, as you're saying, it feels true because if you think about a prison population, let's just take that as a as an example there would be motive for those who run the prison to keep the inmates, you know, the population as calm as possible, right? They would have, they were, there would be motivation for that, for that desire. And if you could achieve that by applying some, what was it? Extra ingredient to, you know, whatever food supply or drink supply that you've got providing that you're providing for them, you know, it would be it would be easily achieved however you know i don't have any proof i don't think we have any proof to show that it's happening at at even one particular prison or something like that but it definitely feels real yeah that's that's the thing so we couldn't find any solid confirmation about this it's just it's very common uh, one of the ingredients that you hear a lot in these theories is saltpeter and someone will say that saltpeter is added to maybe not just the the water, but the food as well. Also, you'll hear this in boys' schools. And the idea is that it, it diminishes the sex drive, to your point, Matt, to make the population somewhat more sedate and easy to control. Uh, wait, wait, you're ha- saying I can take saltpeter to lower my sex drive? Potassium nitrate. But the problem here is, no, I'm not saying that because it so doesn't like- work. Oh, okay. <laughs> it doesn't work. It just sounds intelligent in conversation. Okay. You know, uh, because you can find 
uh, saltpeter in a ton of stuff. Uh, it's used as a preservative in food and color. It's a it's an agent of color retention in things like bacon, corned beef, ham, hot dogs. Hey, maybe even sausages. Uh, but it's also an ice cream. So this one we can say is. So far as we can tell, is not true, but it is based in some very real, very disturbing truths. And those are, you know, there's an argument you can make that the oral tradition of this conspiratorial story is is kind of our, our culture recounting uh, the terrible things that occurred in the past. Uh, but now, I, we know you're waiting for this, folks. Yes, we are going to talk about some of those wild fast food ideas. Fast food itself is kind of a conspiracy, right? There's never been a global supply chain like this ever. You probably heard rumors that the McRib from McDonald's is so popular that it like skews the world pork market. You probably had some weird fast food experiences in your old life. Is that why they only bring it back seasonally, Ben? Because they don't want to totally upend the pork supply? Yeah. Yeah, uh, cows and chickens, we're good all year. That's fine. But the pigs, you got to let them be for a while. You got to wonder how much actual pork is in that McRib, too. I mean, like, uh, I just, I, I'm not, I have no proof or uh, answer to this question. I just, for some reason, have a feeling like it's a pork uh, composite kind of situation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, here's here's the thing. You can find some work on this by economists uh, who are usually arguing that there isn't there isn't a super strong correlation between the McRib and pork prices in terms of like uh, a causative relationship, right? There were not saying most economists will argue that the McRib itself doesn't seem to be swinging the needle on global pork supplies. But uh, maybe there's another – maybe there's a different relationship. Maybe – uh, McDonald's is following the curve, right? So maybe when pork prices drop to some threshold, then they say, okay, it makes sense for us to make the McRib again. <laughs> that that makes so much sense. I mean, that, that <laughs> makes more sense than the idea that Ronald McDonald is somewhere steepling his clown fingers and saying it's time to punish the pork people. They'll learn. <laughs> Release the McRib. You know what I mean? I don't I don't think it's quite that level. But there, there is there, somebody in some office that hits the McRib button though, and it's just an alert that goes out to every franchisee. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, oh, it's McRib time. I like the idea of a red phone, like an old school landline phone <laughs> yeah. with no number. It's just a red phone, like the bat phone or something. And there's one person whose entire job is to every so often just pick up this phone and then say, like, do it. And then all across the world. Yeah. Uh, well, they, and they do it, too. And they pick up, we're going to make apple fritters now. And then they just, <laughs> just, they just say the new thing. I love it. How do you get that gig? Uh, that's sort of like a. Uh, dipping your toe into fast food conspiracy kind of thing, right? Because it sounds ostensibly possible. If not plausible, it sounds possible. But other stories get weird so quickly. You guys remember that before 1991, KFC used to be called Kentucky Fried Chicken? Do you, do you guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Man. yeah. 
big old signs. They were just huge with so many letters. And then they went the way of many uh, uh, brands like that and, you know, wanted to to simplify, go for a minimalist approach. KFC. TLC. The implication what is that that I mean, the implication in the conspiracy circles, perhaps, uh, is that chicken no longer was in play. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you guys remember when we used to make a show called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know? And then it became Stididwick. Yep. Oh, yeah. I do. It was a golden day. A PR agency was worth every penny. So, yeah, the the idea then is that there's some sort of dilution, right? Uh, the the tale uh, the tale goes something like this: Over the years, while selling you buckets of chicken, KFC was also paying scientists to do insane experiments on on poultry uh, and they were genetically altering these poor unfortunate birds to the point where they weren't they might not even have heads anymore they might just be somehow some kind of like chicken equivalent of a human centipede right it's just they figured out a way to just grow the breasts, the wings, and the drumsticks, etc. And now this could no longer be, as you pointed out, Noel, labeled as chicken. Whatever they did, they did it. They took it too far. It's not chicken anymore. Um, to be fair or foul, <laughs> uh, KFC actually responded to this one. The, the responses to a lot of these theories are classic, but imagine you're the PR person for KFC and you have to say, okay, we still use chicken. We're not at the dark forefront of evil Gattaca-like genetic experimentation. Uh, but their their response to this, their comeback is, I don't know, it's believable because they said, we did change the name to get rid of some words. The government didn't tell us to. We just don't want people to hear the word fried. Yeah. Because for a, quite a while there, and even now, the word fried comes uh, comes with it, the connotation of super unhealthy. Like, don't eat that, ever. That's the worst thing you can do to your body. Don't do that. Which isn't necessarily true, but it's also not wrong. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what is one of the worst things you could possibly put in your body is the uh, uh, amazingly unhealthy KFC menu item, the double down. Do you recall this? Is it still in play? I don't know if it is or not, but it it was certainly was around. uh, It was you know a football-y kind of themed uh, menu item that that substituted fried chicken patties for buns. So yeah, they weren't chicken patties; those were breasts, my friend. Okay, okay, Mm -hmm. and they were delicious. I bet they were. (laughs) And it has bacon. I I actually I never ate it. I think they still serve it, but I, I. I got close one time, but it was one of those do I dare disturb the universe moments, you know? Yes, do I dare disturb the sleeping elder beast's slumber? That was redundant, but you get where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you guys seen the uh, delightful new Hulu reboot of the show Animaniacs? 
Mm-hmm. I, I, so I watched not yet. The, the first episode. Uh, it's great. And they, in the first episode, it's all about like they've been like away. I don't know, maybe they were exiled or something. Um, and and they, they do this amazing song called the Catch Up Song that's all mm-hmm. about everything that's happened since the 90s when the show ended and, and, and since now. And it goes through politics, it goes through like Amazon and drones and all the things. But there's a really great part where they, they're like, well, we don't know what's going to happen in the future because the writers are writing this in 2018 and it's not going to come out till 2020. So we'll just use our imagination. And there is a amazing uh, verse that goes like this. We have chips in our brains. We no longer feel pain. There are worsening climate disasters. Now we live underground and we can't make a sound uh, lest we anger our polar bear masters. We breed birds without arms on our factory farms and we live in aluminum bunkers. We sent humans to Mars. All the food comes in bars and the top rated show is called clunkers. Uh, and then it says uh, it's about a talking police car. Who's who's also a time machine. Wow. Here comes the star clunko. I travel through time following crime. Okay. That's all I've got, but I just love the, the factory farms birds without arms line and, and food and bars. I thought that was appropriate for this episode. There you go, man. Animaniacs. Steven Spielberg made that stuff. You guys he's still, he's still involved yeah. and it's very, very good. That's awesome. Well, you know what, you know what you have to do a lot of, uh, when, when you're making animated series, what's that? You got to do caffeine, baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, some kind of upper <laughs> <laughs> drink. Uh, yeah, yeah. Excellent segue, Matt. Uh, there's a very popular chain that's familiar to all our Canadian listeners. It's called Tim Hortons. Uh, many of our friends up north will gladly sing the praises of a delicious cup of Tim Hortons coffee. This coffee comes <laughs> not a sponsor. A, not a sponsor. Uh, this coffee comes. I've actually never tried it. This coffee comes with a free conspiracy theory of its own. There are people who seem to. For to some degree, believe that Tim Hortons was spiking its coffee with something else, and that people were becoming uh, physiologically addicted to not the caffeine necessarily, but whatever that ingredient X was. We'll and, just refer to it collectively as crank. <laughs> and, and they, well, they said that they thought, like the popular theory was that. Tim Hortons was adding nicotine to the coffee <sighs> and people were getting addicted to nicotine and they didn't realize it because they were, they thought they just really had to have my morning cup of coffee, which you probably already do. If you are into caffeine, I'm drinking my second cup of coffee right now. Uh, I don't know if there's nicotine in it. This episode of stuff. They don't want you to know is brought to you by iced coffee, uh, home brewed or otherwise. It's mm-hmm. what keeps us going. And uh, then again, uh, PR manager for Tim Hortons had to respond to this, which is a fun response. This, uh, I like the way Michelle Robichaux put this. Uh, she says, there is, in fact, nothing added to our coffee. We believe our guests are addicted to consistency. Oh, <laughs> man. Sick PR really burn. Good. Really put those conspiracy theorists in their place. Yeah, but this isn't the only time we've heard about this. Uh, there, there are other instances in the past. McDonald's, for example, was accused of uh, adding nicotine to hamburgers. Yeah, I mean, it's nicotine is the addictive thing. Like, you want to get addicted to something? Try nicotine. You'll get there real fast. Um, so that that is one of the, I guess, the go-tos. The go-to chemical when it comes to something feeling like it's overly addictive or more addictive 
than you expected it to be. Right, right. It, because also nicotine is legal. You know what I mean? It's not as if uh, the accusation that somebody was, say, putting opioids in food wouldn't wouldn't make as much sense. That seems like a lot of risk for a very weird gamble. Um, so that you can see already that a lot of this stuff upon further examination may have a grain of truth as its cornerstone or its foundation, but things get carried away pretty quickly. We wanted to uh, give you one uh, one very real one, which you may not have heard of, uh, but it's called shrinkflation. <laughs> so <laughs> have you ever noticed a – I know we're doing a lot of Andy Rooney, like, have you ever? But have you ever noticed a sudden change in the packaging of your favorite food? Like the – did you go to buy uh, some – cereal that you loved during childhood out of nostalgia and you say, hey, whoa, this box is, huh, this box is weirdly small. You're not crazy. It's not the Mandela effect. You are experiencing shrinkflation. Just did the other day, actually, uh, bought a box of Lucky Charms out of that exact impulse you're describing. Pure nostalgia. Um, But uh, honestly, it's one of those things where it's like, do I really want a giant bag crammed full of sugary marshmallowy morsels or would I be doing myself a favor by having a half filled bag? I, I would go with the latter personally, but it is a phenomenon that we've seen over time. Um, this idea of shrinkflation. Yeah. It's a kind of inflation, right? Uh, but it, it works because of the way that human beings encounter a product. It doesn't just apply to food and beverage, but it's pretty common in those respective industries. The, the idea is that you can slowly reduce the size or amount of a product while maintaining its sticker price. Because one thing consumers will notice immediately when they're buying something is not necessarily the change in what they're buying, but they will notice the change in the product price, which is why like, that's the number most people pay attention to. You might shop at some grocery store where they have the full price of something, you know, like, like $4.99 or whatever, and then they have it broken down to cost per ounce. But very few people actually read that part. They just see $4.99 or $5.99, or $3.99, and it makes a huge impact on whether or not they buy that thing. Yep. There's a package, the label looks familiar, this is what I always get, it's the same price. Or maybe a little bit more expensive or a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And, and manufacturers realize they could do this. They could skim just a little bit. They get a little taste, a little bit more, a little bit more, retain the same price. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, you can see it in things like the indentations at the bottom of cups, that that uh, that little half sphere that just gets bigger and bigger. Uh, you can also see it in boxes, uh, you know, like your experience with Lucky Charms. Uh, but just for me, it was orange the, juice. Orange juice, huh? What, what's the deal? Just uh, or like if you remember, if anyone's familiar with a gallon of orange juice or milk or something. Just a full gallon was very common, or a half gallon, at least here in the U.S. That's how you would, for a long time, when I was a kid, that's how you would buy orange juice. Um, and then, you know, with a lot of these other companies creating new new orange drinks or orange orange juice products, mm-hmm. like uh, we've talked about Simply, Simply Orange, I think, is one mm-hmm. of the major ones. 
the packaging became very different. There were these specialized bottles. And those bottles, over time, began to get smaller and smaller. But it was the same type of bottle, but they would get smaller and smaller. And it's gotten to the point now where several brands that I have seen actually say, you know, still one gallon or still still however many fluid ounces or still, you know, this many milliliters. It, it's really interesting because it's become a marketing tool just to say, hey, we're not doing the shrinking over here. But you still could. You could just say like uh, you could say still 64 ounces. And then next year you could say still 52 ounces. <laughs> Have you guys ever noticed those like indentations on the side of gallons of milk or orange juice? Mm-hmm. It's like a big circle that's an indentation. It's one of these things where you'll see these like silly kind of life hack or whatever. Like, yeah, but you didn't know this about the this thing that you've noticed every day of your life, but there's actually a story behind it. Um, the initial version of that that I saw was that button will pop out if the milk has gone bad because it's producing more gases and that button will like pop outward. But the real reason is it allows the milk uh, gallon to flex a little more. Um, so it doesn't hold this rigid shape. So if one happens to fall off a truck or get dropped, it won't just explode. Um, it gives it a little more give because that button is, is flexing outward, you know, as opposed to it being rigid uh, walls uh, container. That's brilliant mm. to me. That just seems like good product design. It, it really is. Engineering, baby. I'm fascinated by the concept of it. You know, you see all this clever packaging uh, that works. Like like you you have the perfect example there, Noel. It's, it's a what seems to be a very simple solution, but holy smokes, that's got to be a game changer for the dairy industry. And maybe that's where... Maybe that's where we end just on a slightly more sinister note. Packaging. We talked a little bit about it with shrinkflation, which is very, very real. We'd love to hear your favorite uh, or most infamous examples of shrinkflation. But let's talk a little bit about packaging. What happens? What happens to all that stuff? You know? Oh, well, I, OK. Yeah, that's a that's a great thing to bring up. By the way, if you want to talk about packaging and intelligent design, somebody came up a long time ago um, in with the pouch, the food pouch, the food product pouch. Matt, when you say intelligent design, are you referring to the notion that God is in control of our destinies? Or? Yes. Okay, a deity cool. of some sort okay, designed these things. Yes. These things. <laughs> oh. They're pouches of food. Yeah. With the little uh, and, twisty top. I love those. Well, anyone that has ever had a child or is just a fan of, you know, fruits and vegetables that are pureed down into this consistency that can fit into a bag like this. I mean, it really is a brilliant thing because there's not a ton to this. It's super simple and you can put anything in there. The problem is instead of, you know, let's say back in the day, this is old man uh, Matt talking back in the day, we used to get our our uh, applesauce in a big glass jar, and you'd spoon it out and eat it individually like that. It was delicious. But now, each <laughs> little serving comes in something like this. When like nowadays, when you're eating applesauce or something like that, or it comes in one of these little individual. I apologize to anyone just listening to this. Well, this is um, obviously going to be the YouTube clip. Let's make a note of this, Paul, okay. if you don't mind. This has got to be. This is the show and tell portion of the podcast. Well, well, I'm I'm holding up just one of these individual little plastic cups filled with this one. I think has peaches in it, but it would be like applesauce or something. And every time 
you consume one of those, all of that becomes trash. And even if you are recycling it, we've talked about the pitfalls of recycling, it is probably going to end up in a landfill somewhere or in an ocean somewhere. And think about right now, going through the times of COVID in 2020, just how much takeaway food you're getting, how much carryout you're getting, and all of the just the stuff that you end up throwing away every time you eat a meal like that. It's horrifying. I know in my family, we're, we counted up the number of plastic, you know, those little uh, packages of plastic forks and silver, mm-hmm. uh, plastic wear that you get. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. We actually saved them over the course of a month. And we too frequently get takeaway. Um, and just looking at it, and quantifying it in that way was a horrifying sight. Yeah, but it's also like something you would maybe potentially buy for like picnics or for like, you know, more low key guest situations where you maybe don't want to have to wash dishes. So those if you if you take a little bit of care with those kinds of products and you 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 stockpile them, they can be useful and it's not all waste. It's going to be waste eventually, but uh, I I I'm annoyed when when um those things are provided when you they're not asked for. And it's like You mean like this Noel? Yeah, little soy, soy sauce, sauce packet. Packets. Mm-hmm. How many of these have you thrown away? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. I always keep them with the intent of using them, but then I'm like, I already have a giant bottle of soy sauce. What am I going to do with this little tiny single serving of soy sauce? You know, I keep, them. I, I keep them, but then I never use them. And then I eventually purge them. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a big downer with that I stuff. Know, it's dude. Just, these are things we should think about. Uh, back to our plastics discussion at the very top of the show. These are <laughs> important things. And Ben, we're talking about microplastics, right? Wouldn't that uh, be a thing that you'd need to consider when it comes to forks and when it comes to soy sauce packets over time? Wouldn't those packages degrade and potentially cause you to ingest those microplastics? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, this has been proven. We just don't know the extent of the long-term consequences. Now, uh, packaging is packaging is a huge deal. There are companies that will use what's called biodegradable packaging or sell you stuff in glass bottles, which is cool because you have a useful container at the end of the day. But the fact of the matter is plastic checks all the boxes for a durable thing that is cost-effective. So that and shrinkflation are two very real conspiracies. One last shout-out. I know everybody's been worried about this for the entire uh, the entirety of today's episode. We can confirm that Outback Steakhouse has denied their tie, their alleged ties with the Illuminati. Oh, thank God. So everybody relax. Oh, uh, we can, yeah. We can be cool. Or, you know, get more on your toes because they're, they talked about it. So, I mean, and that was in 2019. So who knows? I don't know. I think jury's out when it comes to the Outback Illuminati. <laughs> this is, this is a real story. We don't have too much time to get into it, but uh, a while back, someone on Twitter did a, did a conspiracy map and they mapped out locations of Outback Steakhouses in Arizona and Georgia, Illinois, uh, and a couple other places. And they said, look at this. These all, if you look at the arrangement here, this forms a pentagram. Is Outback Steakhouse a front for a satanic cult? Uh, Outback Steakhouse said, uh, Uh, In another great PR statement, Outback Steakhouse said uh, they have no, like, world-conquering plans. 
other than to bring bold steaks and blooming onions to our guest. Don't ever eat the blooming onion. Why? Ever. It's it's got an insane amount of calories. In oh it. yeah. Well, it's for, it's for sharing, Matt. It's for sharing. Oh no, it's not. It's for personal consumption. I I know this for a fact. I've I've been there. You've bloomed. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, so that that's that's our show today. We've covered a lot of things. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it. And Australian listeners, I've always wondered what what do you all in Australia think of. Outback Steakhouse. Is it offensive? Is it like is it like too much of a caricature? Oh, uh, it's got to be, know? right? And then there's what? Foster's, Australian for beer. Here's my question. Do they have Outback Steakhouses in Australia? I, I think, yeah, I think there is. Uh, it There is one in Australia. But, you know, we can't talk too much trash about that because here in the U.S., we have American Deli. We do. They're everywhere. So that's our show, folks. We hope this finds you happy and in good health. And as always, we want to hear from you. Uh, We've covered some really crazy stuff that's probably not true. We've covered some things that are very true and disturbing, but we didn't cover everything. So what food-related conspiracies do you feel have serious sand? Let us know. Yes, you can find us on social media. We are all over the place. Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter and Facebook. Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. Check out YouTube.com slash Conspiracy Stuff to watch clips from this episode and all of the other ones that we do. Uh, it's, it's quite a bit of fun. And reading the comments is a joy. And leaving a comment is, um, you know, I don't know what you'd call that experience, but uh, you should you should try it out. Um uh, but that's not it. If you want to give us a call, we have a phone number. That's right. It's one eight three three stdwytk Leave a message at the sound of Ben's dulcet tone. Try to keep it in their three-minute range, three-minute maximum. If it's really juicy and you need to call back, it will cut you off after three. Um, but, you know, do your best. Brevity is the soul of wit, as they say. And you might find your uh, story on a, one of our weekly listener mail episodes. And if none of that quite bags your badgers, we have one way that you can always contact us, regardless of the time of year and time of day uh, or what you're eating. And that is our good old-fashioned email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.